Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Kathy Hung. Kathy is a native of Taipei, Taiwan. At the tender age of 18 years old, she came to the United States to earn her Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology from the University of California at Berkeley and a Doctor of Dental Surgery at Columbia University. She went on for oral and maxillofacial surgery, completing her residency at the Lincoln Medical and Mental Health Center in Bronx, New York. She's board certified and quite recently has just finished participating in the American Dental Association Institute for Diversity and Leadership Program. Dr. Hung is well known for her latest book on cultural competency, Pulling Wisdom. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Kathy Hung. I am so excited to have you on the show, Kathy. I know that our audience has seen a lot of you uh, the last month or so because of the publication of your book. So really excited about hearing your story and how you got into dentistry and the path that you've led to get to this point. So please just go ahead and start with how you got into dentistry. MJ, it's a real honor to be here today and to talk to uh, women, young women especially, about uh, my journey. And uh, I came here in 1991 as a foreign student. I was on a F1 visa, and I'm originally from Taipei, Taiwan. And so ethnicity-wise, I am Chinese, but nationality-wise, I was Taiwanese, and now I am a U.S. citizen. So I came here uh, knowing that I will be doing some type of professional career, and especially I was more inclined to healthcare, maybe considering more towards uh, medical school. But very long story short, during my last year of college, I realized that that was there were some technical difficulties as a foreign student to get into medical school, and I was considering different types of healthcare profession that I can utilize my hands. So dentistry came first, and I was fortunate to have some very smart friends ahead of me who were giving me advice. Uh, I was here alone. My parents uh, were back home. So I sort of resorted to a lot of the friends who had been living here with their parents for advice, and I applied for dental school. I literally just went to a library and got a big college book and checked check, check, and send out applications on my own. So I got into Columbia for dental school. And during dental school, I didn't actually came uh, to New York City, have no idea where Columbia was. It was a snowy day. And I just uh, fell in love with the pizza. I think I had some Italian food in the New York City. I said, this is great. I'm moving here. So I had no idea what dental school was really about. But during my rotation. During the third year or fourth year, I discovered my passion with surgery. And at that time, you know, the most, of course, most bread and butter procedure was extractions. And I found that fascinating. I was going to be a pediatrician, but I found that I was more inclined towards surgery. And therefore, I applied and, you know, did my due diligence and spent my summertime and spring break in hospitals trying to take out as many teeth as possible instead of going home to visit. So I applied and I was able to match. Uh, there's a little bit of luck involved with the matching process. 
of course, as you know. But um, that time, you know, I just kind of went for what I love. I didn't really apply to any GPR in retrospect. Uh, it's really risky and kind of gutsy on my part because if I had I not matched any program, I had to go home. So I matched a four-year residency. Uh, in the Bronx, and it's a level one trauma center. And uh, so the, the guys, I was the second female ever finished my residency training program in the training program history. And so two weeks before I started as an intern, the guys, the boys were saying, maybe you should, you know, join us to just take the call and stay overnight in the hospital. So they were bringing me to the rounds to the floor to see a patient. I remember the very first patient I saw was a peri- uh, orbital abscess. So the person was uh, having a uh, bad tooth and the bacteria travel up to the maxillary sinus and they're uh, causing abscess of the orbits. And uh, we were draining out from his eye socket. I was like, oh, did I get myself into something crazy? But, you know, I went through the four years, did a lot of fractures uh, during that time. And then I was very, feel very pumped. You know, it was a difficult, of course, that was an understatement. It was just a lot of nights of staying in the hospital, treating trauma, lacerations, fractures. But uh, at the end of it, um, I didn't regret my choices. I think that I made a good career out of it. I always knew that I wanted to be in a private practice rather than a hospital-based uh, surgeon. And that's definitely a personal choice that I made. I knew that I wanted to have family. So I, uh, after my surgical residency in New York, I moved to New Jersey, got married and have kids and I have two boys. Um, one is going to high school this year. The other one is in middle school. Um, so, you know, I feel like this really long journey is kind of put me on different paths and perspectives. And I was kind of learning and exploring a lot. One of the biggest reasons of uh, writing this book, Pulling Wisdom, was really coming from me taking care of my really ill father now passed. He passed from prostate cancer. I helped to take care of him for about 12 years before he passed. We were traveling to Sloan Kettering in New York almost once, at least once a month for that duration of time. And uh, my father, he's a former GE executive. He was really, he's a self-made person. He taught himself English. And, um, you know, he was really good at what he did. He has a chemical engineering background and he was a, uh, he had an executive position with GE Plastics. And so when he retired, he was good with his technical knowledge, but going through the healthcare system, he really didn't know too much about the medical technology and everything, uh, terminology. So I helped him to translate. So in that process, I kind of thought to myself, I said, my father was educated and he had a good career, but he has such trouble, you know, getting through to the doctor to tell them what he's really feeling. I was helping him with that. What about other people whose language is not, you know, English is not the first language. So I feel very strongly about putting out my story. And I actually started out writing more like a memoir. But as I was writing it, I realize that there are teaching points there because there are so many in the tri-state area, there's so many first-generation immigrants, and there's so many doctors who are uh, first-generation immigrants, and we may be having different cultural backgrounds that we're trying to, we don't know each other that well, you know, maybe uh, somebody from the Middle East will be coming and see me and take a step back and say, I don't know if this Asian person understand my culture. So there's a lot of that, and I feel like it's important to put out a book um, 
um, with teaching points so that we are more aware of people who are different from us. Such a poignant book for this moment in time where there's so much stress over diversity, being included, you know, color of skin, slant of eyes, you know, all of it is how you're perceived, but we all just want to be accepted for who we are, right? And your culture is, I would love to learn about your culture. You know, it's just amazing. You know, I talk a lot, a lot about fixed mindset versus, you know, growth mindset. And those that are unaccepting of others, you know, really truly have a fixed mindset because they're not open to seeing our differences as being something that might be celebrated instead of, oh, I'm not going near that. You know what I mean? So I'm so excited that you wrote this book and what a nice gift to your dad. I'm sure he's in heaven, you know, looking down on you saying, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing that my daughter took this and is sharing it with the world. When you reflect back, do you find that he was one of the biggest reasons why you have it, had enough confidence to go to oral surgery school? Because you had to have enough confidence to deal, and I know you had to have enough confidence to deal with the men in the room, and especially, you know, a significantly dominated profession of oral surgery. So, yes, I definitely feel that my father made the biggest impact on me based on his story. Um, my, uh, so I have a unique background, even if I say that I'm Chinese, but in Taiwan back in the days uh, during my grandparents' time were colonized by Japanese. So we have a very strong Japanese influence on our culture. And uh, my, you know, my parents both spoke Japanese and my parents, you know, grandparents as well. My grandfather was a very well-to-do businessman who had misfortune and uh, unfortunately died very early. So my father was taking care of his sibling going through high school and lost all the, all the assets from the home, had to live with his uncle. He really just very earlier on, he said, I have to make myself somebody. So he self-taught English, which was very rare at that time, you know, during the 60s and 70s. And so, you know, when he had me and I have, uh, you know, in my family, I have a younger brother as well, who's uh, six years younger than me. Growing up, he never, he was looking at my performance and say, this girl likes to study. She likes to read. You know, I was an early reader. She should try to pursue anything that she wants because I wasn't given the opportunity. So that was really his mindset, raising me. And I was never told girls shouldn't be doing this. Girls are not good at math or girls shouldn't be pursuing higher education because in his mind, he wanted me to have the best that I could achieve. So that was always my mentality. He was very encouraging of independent decision-making. He was the person who told me, never rely on any men. You need to be financially independent, get a good education, go to good schools. I will be fully supportive of you. And so I feel very fortunate, you know, that coming to America was always part of the plan because he was working for an American company and he wanted me to have more opportunities for whatever I wanted to do. He never told me you shouldn't be this or shouldn't be that. You should pick a certain major. I always the one making the decision. I pretty much just make a phone call home and say, Dad, I've gone to this school. He said, go ahead, you know, pursue whatever you want to pursue and fulfill your dream. So, you know, when I got into dental school and then 
decided to do oral surgery, he never was telling me, you know, you're going to be too old. You're not going to find any husband. There was never anything like that coming from him. He was always saying, go ahead, go ahead and just keep pushing, go to the highest, you know, reach the star. So I really thank him for giving me that opportunity, um, my, this mentality, which is also what I'm trying to teach my children as well. I'm not, I told my kids, I said, I'm not going to tell you, you have to be a lawyer or you have to be an engineer. Do whatever that your heart calls for, but be the best of it if you can. So I'm, I've been always very self-motivated because of that. And I knew that he really, he worked hard. He was always traveling somewhere and making business trip. And I saw that. I said, I'm going to try to be the same. I'm going to try very hard, uh, work very hard to fulfill my dream. So in my dictionary or his dictionary, there was no such thing as I can't, I'm not self-limiting myself. I'm going to try if I have, I said my, you know, a year ago, I was telling myself, I, I think I'm ready to write a book because when he passed away, I knew that I wanted to write a book, but I wasn't emotionally ready. And when I knew that I was emotionally ready, I told myself, I have to tell my story because I'm ready now. And did I know how to start? Not really, but I started looking into it didn't know anything about publishing business, but book business or anything like that. But I started writing and I started looking into it. And a year you know, later, I was very glad that I have this book in my hand. To me, it means a lot more so than I want to be an author. I always wanted to be an author, but I thought I would be writing in Chinese, you know, to write something that's English and maybe perhaps, you know, and again, you know, when I was writing the book, I was kind of set on writing a memoir. So uh, how it became more of a cultural competency or a diversion of diversity and inclusion, I never thought that today this is the, the environment, the atmosphere, you know, that we're looking at. I never knew, you know, a year uh, later that all this racial uh, topic becomes such a hot topic. I just thought to tell my story. That's all. Um, so again, I feel very fortunate that, you know, if I have a voice to tell my story, if there are some relatable points that people can take back to them, their practice, or maybe even their personal life, regardless who you are, you can be a dentist, you can be a hygienist, can be an assistant. Um, maybe there's something there that everybody can benefit from. Wow. That's an amazing story. Just amazing. So you and I share one more thing together. My father also lost his father at a very young age, 13, and had to bring be the sole supporter of his siblings and mother. And he, from a very young age, said all of his girls were going to go to college. And where all of us didn't go to college, we all have a profession. So we all were trained in something. And I am so thankful to him to this day. And believe it or not, my mom's dad also died, not until she was in her 20s, but still also died at a very young age, leaving my grandmother alone. So I think that on both sides of my family, it was truly important to them to make sure that their girls were able to stand on their feet. And not, you know, I know it doesn't seem realistic in, in this day and age that young women are, don't even think about that. Of course, they're going to go to college or go to dental school. And, but it truly was just, you know, 40 years ago that, you know, when we were growing up, and I, I know you're probably much younger than I am, but in the last 40 to 50 years that it's changed significantly for women. And where, you know, I still think that we have had a lot of growth. There's still a lot of stagnation. There's still 
you know, bias out there. There's still, you know, and I, I wonder, you know, in your, you know, working with even through your residency program and now as a private practitioner, you know, have you experienced, you know, either patients or your colleagues having bias against you because you're female? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is on different levels. And uh, since a residency, uh, since I was the only female resident there, and I was, I'm 5'3", so I'm physically smaller than most of uh, my male counterparts, that one of perpetual question was always, oh, you look so young, you know, have you done this before? And this actually prompted me to, when I was approached by uh, ADA earlier in the year, prompted me to write an article that's titled, You Look Too, Too Young to Be a Dentist. That was pretty much all my life and half of my career. Even now, sometimes I get that. 47 years old, so I always look younger than my actual age. But during the residency, it was especially difficult just because I was the only female resident there. I think that there, you know, in my article, I have show, uh, shown some strategies that will help younger women to establish their authority. I'm actually more of a serious person rather than joking. I mean, I will be, I will use my humor and everything, but I actually tend not to say, oh, you're the first patient that I see. I actually want to be more serious and have them take me more seriously and show them my credentials by uh, displaying my diplomas and things like that. And it's funny because two weeks ago, I was cleaning out some of the older materials and I have floppy disk. I'm sure you do too. So I just decided to, um, you know, converted them, actually transport them onto my desktop. I have a relatively new desktop. And I found this uh, document where I wrote a letter. This was in 2003 during my uh, last uh, third year. I was a third year resident in the oral surgery program. I made a complaint to anesthesia department about a surgical technician. I completely forgot about this incident until I saw the letter again. So according to the letter, he was turning his back on me. And uh, when I asked for instrument, he wouldn't give it to me. He will answer to my male counterparts, but not me. He just blatantly ignored me. So I made a complaint about that and quoted what he said. And he, quote unquote, said, you have to wait your turn until you're a chief resident before I give you anything. And so, you know, it was, it just kind of remind me. And when I saw that letter two weeks ago, I wasn't upset, but it just kind of remind me it's, a, it's an affirmation for me to be doing what I'm doing because this is still happening. I'm sure it's still you have many corners of different programs where females are told they're not good enough. They're not being perceived as smart enough. And so I feel like it's really important for me to, you know, when I saw that letter, I, I saved it. And I said, this is a reminder to me that I should be continued to encourage women to go into surgery and not be fearful. Things are much better now. Um, there are still many challenges, but I think that 20, fast forward 20 years, there are more female role models there are more female surgeons out there that you can say um, compared to, you know, like you like you mentioned, you know, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, things are, uh, things were much worse, but I think that, you know, we are in a better light right now, though we still have a lot more work to do. So uh, that was an interesting incidence. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, sadly though, Kathy, that it is still occurring today because, you know, I had a recent conversation just about a year ago with one of my graduates who was in an oral surgery program, and she was being put through unbelievable torture, but in her first year and second year. And I will say that it was so disheartening for me to understand that that's still 
occurring and still happening because quite honestly, you know, why, you know, men should know better at this point, but, you know, I think there's that tension with, you know, I, I wonder how much the imposter syndrome really affects men and women. And I, I would love to at least investigate that or, or do some research on that at some point, because people don't lash out at you if they have confidence, right? They respect you and they respect your opinions. And if they, you know, like I shared earlier, you know, when you have a growth mindset, you actually are open to having more conversations about things that you might be uncomfortable with, but you can understand the other side. And so what allows this to happen is got to be some experiences that we've had at our upbringing. And, you know, I will say that it's, it's still sad to think about it to this day. I'm expecting my first granddaughter in November and I have been starting to write down all the things I, I want to remember to tell her because I think that even though it's, you know, 2020, you know, when it's 2038 and she's getting ready to go off to college and, and start her life, these are the things that, that I was experiencing in my lifetime that I want you to understand if they're still the same, you have to do these things, you know? Yes, absolutely. I, I feel that that 80 year article that I wrote, you know, after the actually got a lot of messages sent to me uh, via social media or emails and people are reaching out to me because they feel like they could relate to that. I think that maybe, you know, everybody has been told, you know, too many people have been told that hey, you look too young, you look, you're too this, you're too that. So it prompted me to, I was at the last step of uh, editing my book and I actually added the two syndrome because we criticized as you're too you're too young you know you look too you're too sure you're too little how can you do this you know how are you capable you know your skirt is too short your shirt is too this and too that so I think women are being really examined under the microscope in many different ways and we don't as if we are different, if we don't fit the stereotype, right? If we're not a majority, we're the minority. So this keeps on happening again. I think it will continue to happen, unfortunately, especially in some of the surgical you know, specialties or surgery is one of the surgery that has the lowest number of women. The atmosphere of being a boys club, that's gonna perpetuate probably for a longer compared to some of the other specialties. And I really like your, I did, so I did see your LinkedIn clip about a fixed mindset and the fixed mindset in Chinese culture there is an idiom that says if you literally translate it is frog sitting at the bottom of the well so what that means is that you if you're the frog and you're looking up to the top of the sky you think that sky is just the size of the well but if the frog is removed and outside the well you can dance out the sky is. So in Chinese, we like to, we use a lot of idioms and this idiom specifically, you know, don't be the frog sitting at the bottom of the wheel, meaning to be open-minded. And this is aligning with what you're mentioning about not to having the fixed mindset because if you're that, that frog sitting at the bottom of the wheel, you have a fixed mindset. All you see is that little sky and you're not able to get out of the wheel and see the world and talk to different people and be open-minded about our differences then you 
have a fixed mindset. And that's very difficult to break because most people who have fixed mindsets are not aware that they have a fixed mindset. And so when I wrote about a book and and start talking about it on social media, I get a lot of pushbacks and say, you know, this cultural competency, diversity, inclusion, this is common sense. Just be nice to people and you'll be okay. But it's so much more than that. I remember, you know, years back, and I haven't done any bed and breakfast for a really long time, but I remember my husband and I, we went to bed and breakfast uh, several times earlier when our kids were younger as getaways. And, uh, you know, my, my husband is a first generation from Italy, so he's not American. And uh, when we go on vacation, people will ask and say, oh, you know, the, you know, Italy's beautiful. We talk about vacations. And the whole time that we're interacting, people will be fixated on nobody ever asked me where I came from or want to know about it. Oh, so where are you from? People either assume that I'm from here because maybe my English is slightly better uh, or, you know, has a little bit less accent than his or they will say oh you're from Taiwan okay and then you know then you hit hear crickets and it's very uncomfortable so there's there's a lot and my husband would say well you know I mean the people just talk about Italy I said well you know I think that in America you know certain cultures are perceived as being better I hate to say it like that but if you're French or Italians or Ita- you know usually you get better treatment and you know, more attention. I hate to say it that way, but that is true. That's my personal experience, I think. So, so again, you know, with a lot of immigrants now coming to the country, and many of them are doctors, they can be dentist physicians, treating patients who are also first-generation immigrants, but maybe coming from a very different culture. They may be a fallout depending on, you know, what cultural values you hold. So if your culture is a lot more verbal, such as Italian, such as Spanish, you know, you're more verbal about what you want and you're interacting with somebody who's maybe an Asian coming from an Asian culture or maybe a Middle Eastern culture who's more reserved. And they're maybe falling out, you know, if too many people are in the room. One person who's more verbal may be talking over the other person who's less verbal. And the person who's less verbal may be perceived as less intelligent. And that's what my earlier experiences were because I was still learning English and I wasn't able to really communicate all that well. But I was a really good communicator in Chinese and I felt like my limbs were cut off. You know, I feel like I was muted. And I I mentioned that in my book that I feel like a muted alien because I wasn't a U.S. citizen. I couldn't speak English all that well. So I was being talked over a lot, but I understood it. You know, so in my head, I said, how can I improve myself to a point where I can communicate better so people really understand who I am and what I am and not to assume a stereotype of, oh, you are Asian female, so you must be demure, you must be passive. And there was a lot of things being assumed about my origin. And so I think that uh, right now what I would like to do is to take that uh, one step further to help people who are in my same situation. Maybe they are having the same frustration, but they're not really able to express themselves or speak out, or maybe they're intimidated, or maybe they don't feel like they're good enough, like you said, imposter syndrome. Maybe we can bring out people's potential by having them realize that it's not that you're not good enough. It may be some other barriers that we're trying to overcome. Right, right. Oh my gosh, such great insight, Kathy. Really phenomenal. I will say that it caught me by surprise what you just stated, which was if you have a quieter doctor from a different culture treating a patient that is much more verbal and talkative, no matter, even if they're from, you know, first generation immigrant, that might be uncomfortable for the doctor. 
And I never, you know, I never considered that. And, and that's an amazing insight. So, you know, something that, that brought you to the level of awareness that you're at is going to have a huge impact on the rest of us. Because, you know, even though I've been in this profession, I've been in this country for my entire life, I never considered that. I mean, it's just not something that I considered. So thank you for that. That's really insightful, a really great, amazing thing for me to, to get to. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I just think, oh my gosh, how, how could I not realize that? But that's the whole point of sharing information, right? Because knowledge is power and the more knowledge that we have and your experiences are teaching us about who we are and how we react and how we can improve. I mean, we all can improve every single day. And I think that's growth is, is our number one duty every day. I really believe that. I, I think that we follow nature, right? Nature is growing a seed and it blossoms and it turns to a flower and then it dies and it reseeds itself. And then it grows again and it dies and it reseeds itself. So we are constantly going through a growth process. And even though we may have a vision and a purpose in our life, and maybe we don't, we're still expected to grow. And when we don't, we're not meeting our true potential. Yes, I believe that growing is a continuous process. I'm definitely not the same person as I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, not even yesterday. Uh, I might have picked up something new and, and you know, then you have that aha moment, right? To transform yourself. It can be a movie, it can be a song. Um, as I mentioned before, that letter that I had in the floppy disk so many years ago that I completely forgot about that came through and now I'm reading it, I feel different than when I wrote it, you know, years ago. I think that a lot of experiences or some of the uh, some of the thoughts that I have came from my personal one, you know, firsthand experiences interacting with the patients. So for example, uh, I have uh, in my town, there are a lot of, we have a lot of active adult communities. So a lot of the patients that I treated may have been, you know, in Vietnam War, they may be veterans and they'll come in, they're very proper, you know, they're ex-military, they'll come in and, and talk to me. But most of the time when uh, they come through, right? Um, they'll ask me, they see an Asian face. So they, they'll, you know, ask me, are you from China or Vietnam or are you from Hong Kong? And most of these locations are because of where they were based. So it wasn't anything personal, but maybe because they were based in Japan, they were based in Hong Kong. So they start to strike a conversation because I'm Asian. But a lot of assumptions would be almost like I have a neighbor who's Vietnamese. Do you know her? You know, I couldn't be possibly knowing all the Asian person in this world. But that's where that stereotypal assumption is being made. It's not a bad thing. And that's something that I do not take personally. It wasn't an attack. It's just an observation. Or maybe they're trying to get closer to me. And that's the, the best that they could do. And so, but we're less likely, on the other hand, we're less likely to be, let's say you're American. And uh, you are less likely to approach another American and say, uh, well, you know, my neighbor is Canadian. Do you know this person? You know, that, that, because that sounds ridiculous. But, you know, what the example that I just gave you actually happened quite a bit, which is why I feel that it's really important to um, make people know that we are similar. We have core, we share core values, East Asians, you know, Korean, Japanese, Chinese or even some of the Southeast Asians, such as Vietnamese, we can share core values because it's Confucius-based. Family values, respect, 
you know, just uh, listen before you speak. You know, there's a lot of virtues that we value as East Asians, but uh, we are different. We speak different languages. I do not understand Korean or Japanese. They don't sound similar. So there are differences within um, and similarities as well. And then we're kind of clustered as a group. When people for example, if I see a person, I can't visually differentiate whether this person is Korean or Japanese or Chinese based on the facial features and how they dress and how they act. We do bow, but we bow differently. You know, there are very subtle differences of how you bow. You don't just go bow and, and make a fool out of yourself. There's a lot of subtle differences within the culture. And I can't say I know all the Middle Eastern cultures. I know all the Southeast cultures. It can be an Indian versus a Pakistan versus somebody from Bangladesh. And they can be all different too. So I think the bottom line is that we don't prior ourselves to be an expert in everything, but we need to be open-minded about the differences and not to make assumptions, but ask open-ended questions. And that's what I emphasize a lot in my book. That's awesome. So I'm going to shift a little bit, if you don't mind, because we're coming to, you know, the end of the recording at some point. But I, I have some great questions that I'd love to ask you, because I think your insight is pretty amazing. And I, I just want to hear some of your responses. What is the single best piece of advice that you have ever received? I mentioned it earlier in the uh, recording. Uh, that was from my father to say to be financially independent and not try to rely on any man. I think the independence thinking was what carried me through all these years. So that was my single best piece of advice. That's awesome. Any obstacles that you have overcome in your lifetime that you're really proud of? The biggest obstacle really is to adjust through different environment. I feel like I was a perpetual transfer student. Even when I was living in Taiwan, I you know, went through different schools. I was always a transfer student. Then uh, my family moved to Singapore. That was a big pivotal point. In Taiwan, I was raised and born and raised and stay there until the first 16 years of my life. I did really well in school in an all Chinese curriculum. When my father decided to do business in Singapore, we were moved from all Chinese to all English curriculum. So that was, um, I remember um, picking out my chemistry book and on the first two pages, I spent two hours checking every single world because my parents believed that I could do it. They didn't put me through any language program. I was thrown into a local school with all English curriculum. So the first exam, I just failed English and I, my confidence was blown. I was a very good student. You know, I took exams. I got into the best high school, you know, back in Taiwan and I was pulled out and put into an English curriculum where I failed my English the first time, didn't quite understand, was very frustrated uh, just because I didn't have the vocabulary to write anymore. And, um, you know, even with math and science, which came to me easier, but it still took some time. So, for example, table salt is sodium chloride. In Chinese, we uh, everything is opposite. So it's we write it as chloride of sodium, but it was in Chinese character. So I have to just imagine relearning periodic table and all the elements that was very challenging. So then moved to the States. Of course, I had new English already, but it was not 
exactly the same as living in the States. You know, I would do well in my college courses, but when I went home and turned on TV, I didn't understand a thing. So I was actually watching late night shows and my, what is everybody laughing about? Like every five seconds people are laughing, you know, it was, that's when I started watching uh, David Letterman and Jay Leno. And I said, what is so funny? I didn't understand American humor. I didn't have the references, didn't understand all the movies and people, the trivia that they were talking about. I was very frustrated. I said, let me just learn English. I want to know what is so funny. So there were a lot of obstacles on different levels, you know, just daily life, going through supermarket, ordering, you know, from the restaurants, making friends. And then I happened to pick a very male-dominating profession. So the obstacle are different levels, you know, that came from language barrier and then culture barrier and then the, the gender, you know, disparity and inequality to today. And so right now, looking back, I feel like, I, well, I learned so much and it's wonderful because I love learning about different people and culture and I love to travel. So to me, this is more so than now I can speak English versus I couldn't speak English, but more on the level of now I have a better understanding of people just in general. And if I'm comfortable with people, they can sense that I'm comfortable with them, then they're comfortable with me. So there's a process of making people feeling comfortable with you that is organic. I think that's what I'm trying to you know, maybe re you know, tell my stories and maybe share my experience so that maybe somebody who's in my position coming to the country will not be fearful and say, you know, at which point we don't have to be afraid and just regress to our own community who speak our own language, but we're able to branch out and actually know people who live in this country. Absolutely. So tell me, um, do you think that because your dad was so supportive that you were confident from a very young age? Yes. I actually never thought about not being confident. Excellent. Uh, I never thought about that, that question at all. Then I learned, you know, because, you know, from sort of external feedback with people telling me that maybe you shouldn't be doing this because you're this and you shouldn't be doing it because of that. I said, my father never told me that. He never limit me, you know, and say, you couldn't be because you're physically smaller. You couldn't be because you're a woman. He always asked me just to pursue. And he was always confident in me. You're doing the right thing. Go ahead. And that's always from every single decision, deciding to get married. He pretty much just show up, you know, he said, just, you know, I didn't have a, a big ceremony. We went to a steakhouse, you know, just my parents and myself and my husband, you know, I made a decision and just kind of informed him and he, then he's supportive. So for people who are naysayers, you know, I'm always sort of like, I don't know why you're being negative because I was never told that I couldn't. Right, right. Oh my gosh. Tell me one thing that you, that people would be surprised to know about you. In my head, I still count in Chinese, my numbers. So I have, every time when I do my BLS or ACLS, a renewal, then I have to do the chest compression. I have a, I have trouble counting out loud because I, I count in Chinese in my head. So when they're saying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, past 10, going to the 20, I start to kind of stutter a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's so challenging. It's so, so strange. And I, when I get really tired, I regress back to my Chinese language. So I start to stutter a little bit. So I hope this makes you feel better. I have a really good friend who's from Finland and she says she still dreams in Finnish. So 
I think no matter what, where you are in the world, you can grow up with one specific language and that's the language you revert to. So I, I think it's perfectly normal for you to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a personal motto or a mantra that you live by? I am a world traveler, you know, I or I like to think that I am. So just, you know, live your best day every day. That's how I feel. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. How about a secret dream you might want to share with the audience? I would love when I visited Arizona for the first time, I went there for a business conference and uh, I made a trip. I like to organize trips, you know, around the business conference. That's, of course, way before COVID times. I had a fortune to visit Sedona and I just fell in love with it. So my dream will be to have a house on the top of the red rocks and do my yoga waking up in the morning. And I'm more of a mountain person than than ocean. I love the ocean, but red rocks, especially in Sedona, is such a spiritual place. It is. I hope that one day I'll retire there. I don't know. (laughs) I think it's a great dream. I think it's a great dream. (laughs) Awesome. Good for you. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. I sure hope at some point when COVID passes that our paths will cross and that we get to spend some more time together, Kathy, because I could think of a million and one things that I could ask you right now about things in your life and things about the book. And I I certainly am going to suggest, I've just um, established with the past president of Master's Dental Society, the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And I'm going to suggest that we read that book. You know Janice Moriarty, I think. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So Janice and I are working on that together. And, you know, what a great book for us all to read together as a group. I think that's going to be number one on my list. Thank you. Thank you so much for your invitation. I I certainly hope that you will enjoy my stories. A lot of it is personal to me. And I think that's when, you know, people can relate to most are the personal stories. So um, I thank you again for inviting me. This has been a great, you know, just really enjoyable talk. We can talk about the same thing in a coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.